Well, the church started down in Newtown with a little fiery lady full of the Holy Ghost. And then eventually moved up here. And there was nothing around this place when they built this building. It was the first sanctuary back there that the kids are meeting in now. And uh, where the party's at tonight. And I got to give you a fair one. I'm going to preach about two hours, get you good and hungry. Then there's free food in the back tonight for everybody. All right? But uh, we, it was started in that building back there. And then, you know, obviously they built this sanctuary and stuff. But, uh, but God has roots in this place. And uh, he watched, the members of this church watched all this area develop um, over the years. And how many say God's not finished? God is not finished. For he is faithful to perform that which, who started? He started it. We didn't start this thing, amen? I didn't start this thing. God started this thing, hallelujah. Praise God. Well, I'm excited today to, to preach and teach. Um, and I'd like to start off in the book of the letter or the epistle of First John. First John. Hallelujah. Praise God. How many appreciate Brother Larry's teaching on Wednesdays? Amen. And that been good. Good meat, rich. Hallelujah. We've enjoyed that, brother. Enjoy your family, man. And, uh, you know, Bible study is important. It all starts in the Word. I like that catchphrase. Larry told me, he said, uh, he says, you got to do the Word. The Word works if you do it. That's kind of been the theme of the last two weeks. The Word does work, right? The Word works, but you got to do it. You got to work the Word, man. We're going to work the Word a little bit this morning, praise God, in the 1 John chapter 2. Now, it says here in chapter 2, verse 18, praise the Lord. Little children, say amen if you're there. Little children, it is the last time. How many believe it's the last time? How many believe we're in the last days? You know, the Bible says that a day to the Lord is as a thousand years. Peter tells us that. And if one day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and we're in the last days, people say we're in the last days. I say, brother, the way it's looking right now, I believe we're in the last nanoseconds. We're like... You know, it's like two minutes to midnight. We're not in the last days that, I mean, if John was calling this the last time, which was written about 90 AD, all right, about 100 years, 90 years after Christ, and he was calling that the last time. Well, if it was the last time 2,000 years ago, how much of a last time is it today? Praise God. You know, there's another phrase in the scriptures that says, now is the day of salvation. Now is. Listen to me, church. We need to believe, be living in the now is. Now is the time for salvation. 
Not, well, I just want to go out here and try this for a little bit. If it doesn't work, then I'll give my life to the Lord. I'll just go out here and do this and see how that works. And maybe, you know, in 10 years, then I'll get serious to live for the Lord. I'll serve him seriously then after I try a few other things. No, you don't have time to do that anymore. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to serve the Lord with a pure heart. Say this with me. Passion, Passion. purity, Purity. power. Power. Passion, Passion. purity, Purity. power. Power. You can't have power without purity. And you won't have purity without passion. All right? And you say, well, how do I get passion? You, You get hungry. Praise God. You get hungry. You say, well, how do I get hungry, brother? Well, you just get to church when the doors are open. That's one place to start. And you may not even feel like it. But you come. You come. You think, oh, there's nothing going on. I can't stand it. There's nothing here. You keep coming. You keep coming. And all of a sudden, as you're coming, you know, like, my boys, they complain about certain food. But the more they eat it, the more they like it. They just keep eating it. They keep eating it. They get, and they just get hungry for it. Amen? You get hungry for the things. I say, try this. Oh, I don't want to try that, Dad. No, try it. Oh, I'll try oh, That's all right. Keep trying. Uh, hey, 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 Dad, you got any more of that stuff? You see, it just grows on them. But it doesn't happen instantly. And that's the way the things of God are. That's the way the passion for the Holy Ghost, the passion for Jesus, it grows. It just doesn't drop in you. You have to create hunger in yourself by showing up for the things of God. And when the passion is, starts to burn, then you realize, I need to do some things differently for the Lord because I'm, I'm, I'm burning for him. And then all of a sudden, that purity starts working in your life. You start giving things over to the Lord. You start saying, I don't need that anymore, Lord. I used to like it, but you know what? Somehow or another, I just don't desire that anymore. Why? Because that passion is overtaking things. And then all of a sudden, you're being purified. And then guess what happens after the purification? Man, that's when the power starts kicking in. That's when the real power of the Holy Ghost starts to move. Amen? People want to know, why is that church here? Why that church over there? Why can't we see no power? Well, I, my, I declare today there's no power because there's no purity. And I declare today that there's no purity because there's no passion. People are more passionate about soccer on Sunday than they are being in the house of the Lord. My favorite film, Chariots of Fire, when the brother was coming out of church and the football nearly hit him in the head. And he said, young lad, son, Sabbath's not a day for football. You know, there's a days that need to be consecrated for the Lord. And that young man that said that ended up looking at the Prince of Wales in the face and telling him that in the Olympics in France, he was not going to run his race on the Sabbath. The Lord put him in a position in the same way that he told that young man that he shouldn't be playing football on Sunday. He actually had to tell the governor and the prince and the royalty, the royal family, of England that he was not going to run his race on the Sabbath in the Olympics. He was serious. You don't think he was tempted to think, oh, this is a lot more of a special occasion than that young lad out in the field playing football. 
God, see, God doesn't think like that. Principle is principle with the Lord. Amen? Whether it's football on Sunday or running the 200 meter in the Olympics on a Sunday, it's the same to God. Amen? Everybody say, it's the same to God. Praise the Lord. So, we're going to get some passion today. Hallelujah. It's the last time, verse 18. As you have heard that the Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists. Whereby we know that it is the last time. How do we know it's the last time? There are many Antichrists. We'll explain that here in a minute. Look, verse 19. Now they went out from us. These are people that left the church, left the things of God. They went out from us. Some Bible teachers believe that they went out from them doctrinally. They begin to teach things that were in error. Things like Jesus was not the son of God, that Jesus was a phantom. Some people believe that Jesus was just a spirit that came, that he actually never took on flesh. Some people believe that wackos believe that Jesus had, you know, relationships with people here on earth. Wacko. Crazy stuff they come up with. Why? Because they try to belittle the word of God. Now it says here, they went out from us, for if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Why do people leave the church? To be manifested that they they never were of the church. Okay? Look, I got saved when I was six, backslid, lived for the devil for a while. But I tell you what, every time I heard the gospel preached, something was like wooing me back. Why? Because that word was in there. Okay? That word was planted. And when the word is planted in you, the Bible says it will not return void. When the word of God is planted into your children, it will grow. Even if they're away from your house in a faraway land, the Lord knows how to draw back his own. Amen? Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, he knows how to draw back his own. Verse 20, now what's the subject matter? That we're in the last time and that there are many antichrists. Look at verse 20, but, see but, it's a conjunction. Yes, we've said all that, but that's not the emphasis here. The emphasis is like, oh God, where's the antichrist at? Ooh, who's the antichrist now? Where's, where's the devil? Where's the devil? Where's he going to be? Where's he going to be? That's not the emphasis here. The emphasis is, but you have a what? An unction. Hallelujah. I love the function of the unction, praise God. But you have an unction from the Holy One. And you know all things. You know all things. Somebody turn to your wife and say what you've been saying all along. You know all things. Honey, honey, you know all things. Happy wife, happy life, man. You know all things, honey. Verse 21. 
Now I've not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. All right, so a couple of things here. First of all, verse 18 points out two things. The Antichrist shall come, all right? Well, let's just establish this for just a second. When we say the Antichrist, we're saying the Antichrist, capital A, all right? Let me talk to you about that little guy for a minute. And he is a little guy, something that the church doesn't need to be afraid of. Go with me over to Revelations 13 for a minute. Revelation chapter 13, just back it up or go forward a few pages. Revelation chapter 13. All right, here we go. Look at this. Verse 1. Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. Say amen if you're there. All right. It says, now I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power. Who gave him his power? The dragon. Gave him his power and his seat and great authority. All right? So three things the dragon gave him. His power, his seat, or his place of office, and his authority. Okay? That's what the dragon gave the beast, which is the Antichrist, capital A. Verse 3 says, And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, which gave the power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast, who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months, or three and a half years. So we know, according to Bible prophecy, and Bible prophecy is eschatology, the study of last things, or the study of the last days. All right, there's going to be a world empire that is built, this global empire. The Bible talks about in Daniel where the Roman Empire is revived. There'll be a global empire, and this beast will rise up out of the sea, and it'll be a political figure that will have this authority over the whole globe. And where does he get his power from? The dragon, right? That's what it says. The dragon gave him his power, his seat, and his authority. And according to this scripture, something's going to happen to this political figure, this world leader, where he's going to receive a wound and as if dead, all right, and he's going to be healed from that wound, and the whole world is going to marvel, and they're going to begin to worship this person as God. The same way when Nebuchadnezzar, back in Daniel with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember when he put that statue there and he told them to worship and bow down to that image, amen? That's the same kind of thing that's going to happen here in the last days. All right? This antichrist is going to rise up 
And he is not going to respect God. He is going to actually, what does it say? It says his mouth is full of what? Blasphemies. He's going to speak against God. As a matter of fact, he is going to command that people worship him as God the same way that Lucifer did back when he told the angels, I shall ascend and be like the most high God. How many know Satan, the dragon, that devil, that old serpent, is always trying to usurp the authority of Almighty God? He's a usurper. He's a power stealer. He takes what does not belong to him. And he's come in here and he's trying to take our health. He's trying to take our wealth. He's trying to take our children. He's trying to take our future and our heritage. But I say, he doesn't have that authority. Because our authority hasn't been given by the dragon. That old serpent. That old devil. Our authority has been given by Almighty God through the power of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says in Luke chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, Jesus gave the church power and authority over the devil. That's what it says. He's given us power and authority. So that's the Antichrist, the political figure, okay? But 1 John also talks about Even now are there many antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. So what we have here is we've got this, the antichrist will come, but right now, even working in our midst is what is called the spirit of antichrist. The spirit of antichrist is moving in the world. It's moving in this age. It's moving in the earth. It's working. It's got a political influence. It's got an educational influence. It's got an entertainment influence. It's got an information influence. Go with me over to 1 Thessalonians. Hallelujah. First, second, I say first, I meant second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians, it's in the T's. All the T's are lumped together in the New Testament. Chapter two. Now the church here in Thessalonians, they were worried that they missed the rapture that they had missed Jesus, that he had already come. And Paul was comforting the church and letting them know that they haven't missed it. And here's why. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except to come a fallen away first and that the man of sin be revealed and the son of perdition. That same man of sin and the son of perdition is the beast in Revelation 13, all right? Same guy. So he's talking about a man here. Verse four, what does he do? He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped. So that he, as God, sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God, all right? Now what Paul is, and he's saying, I remember that I 
Remember you not that when I was with you, verse 5, I told you these things. Now, Paul, I love Paul. First Thessalonians, the letters to the Thessalonians were some of the first letters that were actually written to the church. You know, I don't know what it is about church where they think that we can't talk about Revelation, Thessalonians, the last days. Why all of a sudden you need, hey, brother, have you, been, have, you, have you studied the book of Revelation? Oh, no, we don't study the book of Revelation. That's too difficult book. That's too difficult book. It's too difficult. Too difficult. We don't study it. We don't study it. We don't do those things. But it's the only book in the Bible that actually says, blessed are the hearers and the readers. Paul, to the firstborn early Christians in Thessalonians, was speaking to them about the last days. They They were a brand new church just born again, went straight into the book of Daniel and taught them the book of Daniel. And he taught them that, listen, guys, there's going to be this dude called the son of perdition. He's going to walk into the temple to the holy of holies, the most sacred place in the Jewish faith, in the traditions of the Jews, the Bible. We know the holiest of holies, amen? Amen. But let me tell you something. First of all, let's just put a thumbtack in that for a minute. The Bible says to the born again believer, now ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. All right. So when that devil puts himself in the temple of God, it's not the holiest of holies in God's mind anymore. Okay. It's not the place where the presence of God dwells now into the New Testament believer. The Bible teaches very clearly, and Paul, he was a Benjamite. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees indeed. He was the chief of Pharisees in the Jewish traditions. And he declared that the Holy Ghost, the Holy of Holies, is now your body. Is now the naos of God is the Greek word for temple. Naos. It's the same word when Jesus referred to the temple and he said, you destroy this temple, speaking of his body, you destroy this naos and I will raise it up on the third day, praise God. And that's exactly what happened. The Lord raised Jesus up to declare his Holiness and justice and righteousness for taking on the sins of the world. But this guy, he will go into the Holy of Holies of the temple that is going to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. And he will say, I am God. And at that point, the Jews, they were following. They thought this guy was the guy that was going to solve all the peace between the Palestinians, the Arabs, and the Jews. And all of a sudden, when he goes into the... Somehow, some sort of a treaty is going to be made between the Arabs and the Jewish nations that it's going to allow the Jews to rebuild their temple. There's three temples in the Bible. All right. There was the tabernacle of Moses. Then there was Solomon's temple. Then there was Ezra's temple that was re, kind of had a refurbished work by King Herod. That's the temple that was standing when Jesus came. That temple was destroyed in 70 AD when Jesus told the disciples, how will you know when they said, let's go there for a minute, keep your finger there, we're dealing with signs and times, Matthew, Matthew, Luke, Luke, say Luke, 
Matthew 24, Luke 21, the most uh, important scriptures in the Bible, I feel. But look at this. Look at Luke 21, 20. Now, in the beginning of this chapter, they were marveling at Herod's temple and the great stones and, the, and just the architecture of it. And they said, wow, look at this temple, Lord. And he said in verse 6, as for these things which you behold, the days will come in which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And so the disciples asked him three questions. They asked him saying, Master, when shall these things be? What will be the sign of thy coming? This is in Matthew they asked this. And what will be the end of the world? What will be a sign of the end of the world? Those are the three questions they asked him. And then Jesus began to talk about the different signs that will become, that will happen in the earth. The Bible calls them the beginning of sorrows. How many here have seen pestilence in the earth? Disease. How many have seen famine? How many have seen great changes in the signs, in the sky, in the stars, in the moon, in the weather patterns, earthquakes? I remember tsunamis were such a, a rare occasion, but now they're happening all the time. Earthquakes, great natural disasters. Talk about natural disasters. How many here have been trying to get chlorine tabs the last couple of weeks? You can't get them. You can't get chlorine tabs. You know why? Because for some reason in America, there's only two factories that make chlorine tablets in the entire United States of America. Yeah. One's in Louisiana and one's in North Carolina. Well, a hurricane wiped out the one in Louisiana and the one in North Carolina was flooded. So the two factories that made all the chlorine tablets for America, they're gone. They're completely wiped out. That's crazy. There's signs in the heaven that are pointing to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is coming again. And there are signs in the heavens that are pointing to his coming but the United Nations want to call it global warming. Climate change. You see, the devil wants to get people's mind off the Bible. He wants to take, he wants to take people's eyes off of the scripture. And so instead of people saying, man, why are all these crazy things going on around here? This weather is weird, isn't it? What do you think's happening? Uh, Jesus is coming. But instead they go, man, there's some funny things going on. Hmm. Oh, sounds like global warming to me. Bit of climate change. It's, everything's good. No problem. Nothing to worry about. We'll just stop running gasoline engines. Everything will be fine. Hey, brother. 
climate change, Jesus Christ is coming. The answer is not electric cars. The answer for the coming of Jesus Christ is a repentance of heart and turning to Almighty God for the forgiveness of your sins. I don't care how many cars GE makes or how many cars Tesla makes. That's not going to save you from the wrath to come, praise God. Because the reason why we got climate change is because we're in the last times. Praise God. Now, he says over here in verse 20 of Luke 21, we talked about him saying, he said, hey, guys, don't marvel at this work. There's going to become a time, it's, com- it's going to be completely destroyed. Verse 20 says, And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. Jesus is a faithful master. He knows how that great shepherd of our souls knows how to protect his own. Amen. He knows how to give warning He knows how to put up the stop signs. He knows how to give a word in season that tells you, do not go there. Do not go this way. When you see this, beware. He knows how to warn his church. And he warned the believers. He said, when you see the armies, and boy, those armies came, Titus came, The Roman centurion came down from Rome with his legions and he surrounded Jerusalem because he had had enough of the turmoil that was going on in that city. And I'm telling you, in the last days when the temple is rebuilt and the whole nations of the earth are so tired of the turmoil and the lack of peace in Jerusalem, it's going to cause like a stench in the earth and the whole armies, just like Titus in 70 AD, the whole armies are going to come from all four corners of the world and they're going to try to lay a siege again on God's city but that's not going to happen because the church is going to come down with the most holy Jesus Christ riding on a chariot coming down and we will deliver Jerusalem we will deliver God's people hallelujah hallelujah but you can see that 70 AD was just a foreshadow of what's going to come in the future Titus came with his armies And they surrounded the city of Jerusalem and they sieged it and they destroyed that temple just like Jesus prophesied. So, we got to pay attention to the signs, amen? We got to pay attention to the signs. The Bible says, like the tribe of Issachar, they were discerning, knowing the times and the seasons. First Chronicles. What, what is that? First Chronicles what? I got little notes here. I'll give you some references because I want you to study yourself. First Chronicles 12, 32. The discernment of the times came from men who knew by the Spirit what God is doing. Amen. And we're living in a time right now where we need to know what the Holy Ghost is doing. And quit worrying about that I can't get the Reds on TV because they went from Fox Sports to Bally's. 
There's a crisis in the air. LeBron James is going to win again. Gosh, the things that we worry about in a society, and it's sickening that the church is caught right up with it. We got to be like the tribe of Issachar, knowing the times, having discernment, knowing what God is doing in the earth. So back over to the text in 1 Thessalonians. Paul said, remember, don't you remember when I was with you, I told you these things? God forbid that pastors in the earth today are not telling their church these things. God forbid. It's downright shameful. It's shameful. We got a generation of 30-somethings that don't even know about the spirit of Antichrist. That don't even know about the deception of the devil. It's a shame. It's a travesty. My God, my God, the Bible says that he's called that dragon, that old serpent, the devil that deceives the whole world. He is in the business of deception. He is in the business of lying because he is the father of lies. There's no truth in him. He's been lying from the beginning. And the only power that he has is being a master of lies and convincing people to believe that he has power that has been stripped from him according to Paul's gospel. The Bible says that Jesus Christ stripped the powers of the devil off of him just like that Titus and his soldiers they stripped Jerusalem of their power and when the Romans would take a city they'd take a city man and they'd put the guy in charge in the front of the line strip Jack naked and march him along with no weapons and no clothes to show the whole earth he's been stripped of everything he has no power and you know what when Jesus raised from the dead praise God when he was raised from the dead the Lord Ephesians says he stripped him of everything and it says in Ephesians he paraded him and the church has that power and authority we got the power, man. Where's the power? So, we got to discern the times. We got to discern the times. We got to know what's happening. We got to know that he's a deceiver, amen? We saw some of the signs of the times in Matthew. We know that there's the spirit of Antichrist that is working. Thessalonians tells us in verse 7, it is the mystery of iniquity that does already work. 
There's a mystery of iniquity, lawlessness. There's a, it's a, it's a mystery in other words, because it's behind the scenes. People always want to get hung up on conspiracies. They say, oh, Jeremy, are you one of them conspiracy theories guys? I say, yeah, I am a conspiracy theory guy. I'm, I'm totally, I'm totally a conspiracy theory because the Bible tells me that there's a conspiracy by the devil, by the son of perdition, through the mystery of iniquity and the spirit of antichrist that works in behind the scenes of the earth to deceive the nations, the Bible says. Yeah, but it's not a theory. You say, do you believe in conspiracy theory, Jeremy? I say, no, brother, sister, I believe in conspiracy fact. I believe in conspiracy truth. Because there has been, since the dawn of man, there has been this ambition to overthrow God Almighty and his rightful authority to rule and reign in the earth through his people. It's a coup attempt on the highest level in the spiritual heavenlies. Now, that spirit of Antichrist who works to deceive the nations, how does he work? What does he do? He lies. Now, I have daughters in here that are in college, so I'm not trying to hold anything back just because I got kids in college. All right? But let me tell you something right now. Our colleges don't belong to the devil. Our universities don't belong to the mystery of iniquity. Our universities, they don't belong to the man of sin, the son of perdition that wants to deceive the nations. Sometimes when I tell people that, well, I got one daughter who's going to Ohio, they kind of go, oh, girls are going to Ohio University. Oh, you know what about that place? 13th on the number one party list in America. Oh. It's like, you know what I say? Every time somebody tells me that, the devil tries to hit me with fear. But I'm going to tell you something. In 1804, when the Ohio University was established, there's a giant plaque in the middle of College Green where every student has to go through. And this is what it says. The class gateway, 1804. Religion, morality, and knowledge being necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind, schools, and the means of education shall forever be encouraged. Let me say that again. Religion, morality, and knowledge is necessary for government. You governors trying to take away our religion and our morality, you can't exist without it. It's impossible to exist. Good government, only tyranny exists without religion and morality. Tyranny, tyranny. Tomatoes, tomatoes. (laughs) 
Not only does he say it's necessary for good government, it says that it is the happiness for mankind. I was never a happy drunk. Never. Maybe for the first hour, but boy, at the end of the night, I was miserable. How about you? The only friend I had was a white porcelain bowl. Now, it also says it's necessary for schools, our public schools, all schools, and the means of education. Religion, morality, it's necessary for a good education. And look at the last thing, which encouraged me. It says, it shall forever be encouraged. So I say to you college students, if you dig deep enough, you will find that that place was planted in the spirit of religion, morality, and knowledge for the good and not the evil. Hey guys, this earth was planted for good, man. This planet is for good. God's plan is for good. Your life, your education, the call of God on your life, it is for good. It is for the prosperity of mankind. And it is not for your demise. And it shall forever be encouraged, praise God. And that's my confession over our universities. And I pray it is your confession with me. Now, as you wander into these universities, I challenge you to stand up for the Bible, to stand up for the things that Jesus Christ gave his life for. That he shed his blood. But it didn't end there. He didn't only show his mercy of how much he loved us, but he showed how powerful he is when he came out of that grave. And there ain't nothing in hell that can stop you through the power of the resurrection. But you've got to be the salt of the earth, a city on a hill that lights the world because there's a mystery of iniquity and lawlessness that is trying to take our citizens through our universities and education They're trying to convince them that this Bible doesn't real, that it was made up. It's goofy. I want to give you seven, maybe eight things you need to fight for. Seven signs of an antichrist spirit. Maybe eight. First of all, you have to know this and you have to know this within your heart of hearts and nobody can shake you of this one foundational truth. First John chapter 2 verse 18. Let's go back there. I think that was the beginning of our text, wasn't it? Look at verse 22. Who is the liar 
But he that denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. So the first thing you look for is if they try to say that Jesus is not God. That Jesus was just another way. That Jesus is on the same level as Gandhi, Muhammad, Buddha, Joseph Smith, all these other false prophets, false Christ that have come to the earth and they try to put Jesus on that same plane. No, you mark them. Spirit of Antichrist. They're liars, all right? The next thing I want you to know. That's the principal thing. You get number one right, you're doing pretty good. You know what I'm saying? Number one's like the foundation stone. Number two, you resist those that wish for Israel's demise. You resist those that come against the word of God and the promises that were made to establish Israel as a nation. Listen, guys, you can fight all day long about trying to get Israel banned out of, Israel, out, of, out, of, out of the areas that they're fighting for. But the Bible has already declared, man, there's going to be a temple that's built there. Okay? It has to be built there because Jesus Christ is going to come and redeem his people, Israel. It's prophesied. You can't stop it. So don't try to fight it. You can come up with all your weird terms and, and call the Israelites Jerusalem settlers, Zion settlers. And they're coming up with all these weird terms now that they're trying to dub those, the people of Israel. It's a nation. And it's going to remain a nation because God is going to set, he's going to deliver his people from that nation. And at the end of the day, why would you fight God on this? This was God's idea to faithful Abram. When the Lord appeared unto Abraham, Genesis 12, 7, and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord. If you look at verse 6, it says this. Abram passed through the land unto a place called Shechem into the plain of Morah. And the Canaanite was in the land. Everybody say the Canaanite was in the land. Okay. So that leads us to our next point. When God brought Abraham into the land which took almost 400 years after they were in Egypt, then they came as a mighty army, army and defeated the Canaanites. The Canaanites were devil worshipers. The Canaanites would take their newborn babies and set them on fire and worship to the false god Moloch. God hates when people destroy the innocent. God hates it when people destroy those who do not have a voice of their own. 
The Bible tells us to plead for the widow, to plead for the orphan. God sent Abraham's family with Moses on a conquering mission to get rid of these people because they were hurting innocent lives. It was God's judgment. And God's not partial because when the Israelites started doing this stupid thing, he raised up another army, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and they came and they did the same thing to them. He's no respecter of persons. If you're going to burn babies, man, you're going down. I don't care who you are. You can call yourself a Christian or not. So when God told Abraham he was going to give him this land, it was all about cleansing the land, getting it, protecting people. It was almost like an act of deliverance. So the next point then is you got to resist people that are anti-life. Abortion is not God's plan. It never has been. Abortion is not God's will. Told my girls the other day, you have sex outside of marriage, your fornication is sin, that baby's life is not. You have fornication, that's sin. But when that baby was created, that is beautiful. That is precious. That is life. That is a beautiful, if anything, it's a redemptive act, praise God, of your wickedness. That's how it should be teamed. Life is beautiful and should be treated that way. It's funny when you look at, when you look at the anti-abortion statements in the Bible, there's one found in Leviticus chapter 18. Verse 21, and I find this remarkable because this whole chapter is a list of what fornication is. And you know, if you wanna sum it up really, you know, people say, them fornicators, they shan't fornicate. Fornicate is just an illegal sexual act and Leviticus chapter 18 is full of them, all right? It lists all the different illegal sexual acts. But in the midst of this paragraph or this chapter, For some wild reason, the Holy Ghost decides to slip in here. (laughs) He decides to slip in that you shall not let any of your seed pass through the fire to Moloch. Neither shall you profane the name of God. So in the midst of God's chapter on fornication, he puts an anti-abortion statement there and says, you will not let your seed be sacrificed to the God of Moloch. A person's fornication should not be consummated by an execution. So don't you let anybody convince you otherwise. It's not a woman's right to choose. The Bible says that these things, not the Bible, I almost quoted the the Declaration of Independence as the Bible. I'm sure the Bible had great inspiration on it. But we know it says these things, we hold these things true. These are unalienable rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, man. 
And you've heard me say before, a baby's right to life is not, does not, uh, it does not surpass the pursuit of happiness or liberty or the right to choose. It's life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, and each one is subjected to the other. My pursuit of happiness is subjected to your liberty, but your liberty is subjected to the spirit of life. Number four, it's getting quiet in here. Come on, let's get you like this. This is true stuff I'm teaching here. Come on, baby. Got to know these things. Quickly next, moving along here. Also, you need to resist anti-family. All right? You need to resist the anti-family movement. Let me read this to you out of Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning, who made them? He made them at the beginning. He made them what? Male and female. And he said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, that the twain or the two shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more two but they are one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Now I state to you today, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. I don't, you can put it in your civil legislation. You can put it at the highest Laws of the land, but I'm telling you, God has already declared that what he has joined together as man and wife is male and female, and let no man put it asunder. No man. You got to adhere to that. Does it mean we condemn those that are trying these things out? No. They're trying them out because they're lost. They're broken. They're hurting. They're, they don't know what to do with life. Everything is given them. Their whole life has been sour grapes. They're trying to find some sort of happiness. But they're lost people. That's why they do these things. They need Jesus. They need his love. We don't condemn those that do these things. But we say, listen, I will not stand up for your legislation that goes against what God has said. I support the Bible. So anti-family, spirit of antichrist. What's anti-family? All these different letters, LGBTQIA+. All right? Can't do it. Okay, not saying that they're, you know, the scum of the earth. Just saying you can't. Say, you can't make me believe it, okay? I'm not going to because I believe the Bible first. And if you humble yourself and you repent of your sin, not even of that sin, just the fact that you were conceived in sin and you need a redeemer. Because the person that's confused on what gender they are in is going to be condemned by the same lake of fire as somebody that went to Myers and stole a pack of gum.
Number six, you have to resist anti-capitalism. Now let me tell you why. Matthew 25, verse 14. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling into a far country. He called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, and to another one. And every man, according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. But then he had... Then he that had the five talents, he went and traded with the same and made another five talents. And likewise, he that received two, he also gained another two. But he that had received the one, he went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and he reckoned with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought the other five, saying, Lord, you delivered me unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained besides them five more. His Lord said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things, and I will make you a ruler over many. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. Verse 22 says, he also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents besides those. His Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid. I was afraid. I was afraid. And I went and I hid thy talent into the earth. And lo, there that has, that is thine. In other words, here's your one talent. The Lord said, you're a wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I sowed not and gathered where I have not strawed. Then how, therefore, have you put my, did not put my money into the exchangers? And then at my coming, I should have at least received my own with ursery. Take, therefore, the talent from him and give it unto him which has ten talents. For unto every one that has shall be given and he shall have abundance. But from him that has not shall be taken away even that which he has. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Matthew 25 gives us a parable that defeats the doctrine of communism. Okay? The Lord has never condoned that stuff be based on need. God has given you the ability to create. God has given each person the ability to gain. It is within your hands. And you, the power that God has given you should never be determined by what another person is doing. It's not right. It never has been right. In societies that try to base their governments on doing something based on those that do nothing compared to those that do something have always failed. Historically. It's in the record books, man. You can't argue about it. So, 
Resist those that go against the free markets. You have to resist them because it's not God's way. Listen, when the Bible says they had all things in common, when the church sold their property and they gave to those, that was their choice. That was a spirit of the Holy Ghost that was a moving, it was, the Bible calls it the gift of generosity. It's the spirit of giving, all right? There, there, was a, there was a Holy Ghost anointing that came on the people that gave them the ability and the desire to sell what they had and distribute because there was a need. It wasn't mandated. Peter didn't get up and say, hey, if you don't do this, you're out of the church. As a matter of fact, he told Ananias and Sapphira, he said, why have you lied to the Holy Ghost? When you had the property, wasn't it your right to do whatever you choose to do with it? I didn't tell you to sell it. I didn't tell you you had to give it all. But you trying to be pious looking lied and said you have sold it all and brought it all to my feet. He said, look, the people are at the door right now to carry your dead body out of here. Boom. Communism is not the Holy Ghost, man. Never has been. Mandating what people do with their God-given abilities and freedom and choice is not the Holy Spirit. And you need to resist it in the name of Jesus. So that leads me to the next part that goes into this, kind of like Israel and abortion. You gotta stand up for a free society and free markets, and you gotta resist those that try to disarm people. You think this anti-guns thing is all about protecting people? It's not. It's about getting people in a position where they can no longer defend themselves for the things that they rightfully own. Hey, it's simple economics. I took economics in college, and you know what the, the, the core of what economics revolves around in our country is the right to property. If you do not have the right to property, you have no free markets. If you do not have the right to property, you don't have an economy. Your God-given right to purchase something just like Abraham did. You purchase it, a bill of sale is written out to you. It is your legal right to have that property. And based on that ownership, you can leverage and have the ability to do what you need to do. And that should not be taken from you. And the only way to defend that is your ability to arm yourself, okay? So you have to be able to arm yourself to defend your right to property, which defends the free markets. It's kind of a succession. If you don't have, if you don't have arms, you don't have a right to property. If you don't have a right to property, you don't have a free market. It's simple economics. So you can't buy into this thing, guys. You cannot buy into this, it is a lie. I lived in England for 20 years, man. I know how this works. Catherine and I, 
We came out of the system over there, man. I got pastors that literally do not have the right to go into somebody's house and have dinner. That the law will come and rip them out of their house and take them to jail. And there's no one standing up for this rubbish. Moving along. The the seventh thing you must resist is anti-nationalism. The Bible says that God sets up the nations. But he also says the nations to him are like a drop in the bucket. But God has sovereign national boundaries. He always has. He resists a globalist movement because it's the same spirit that raised up the Tower of Babel. And they said, let us make a city for ourselves that we can be like God. You see, the beauty about separate nations is the same reason why the beauty of our separate states. If I don't like Ohio, praise God, I can go down to Florida. If I don't like Chicago, Illinois, I can go down to Austin, Texas. You see, we have the liberty and the choice to go where we want. That's the same, it also works in nations of the globe. But this last day spirit, this antichrist spirit, it is coming. And it's going to work off of this globalist movement. You trust me. You mark my words. Not my words. His words. Closing with this. You got to resist anti-holiness. Okay? You got to resist that it's okay to just do whatever we feel like doing. That it's okay to to live like the world and still be a Christian. You cannot do it. It's in the Bible, guys. I don't have time. I got to go eat some some graduation cake here in a minute. I'm looking forward to it. I don't really have time to get into it, but you guys know it's elementary. I can't sleep around, smoke dope, and act like I'm a Christian. All right? I just can't do it, all right? It's just there. It's there in the Word. Bible says it's witchcraft. It's witchcraft, pharmacia. It's witchcraft. That's where we get our word pharmacy from. Taking drugs is a form of witchcraft. Always has been. Way back in the day. You know, back in the 70s, the pimps wore fur coats. Now they just wear white ones. So listen, we can't glorify sin. It ain't going to happen, all right? Last verse, Revelations chapter 19, if you would, please. Now, what's going to happen? What's going to be the consummation of all this? Well, first of all, you're going to get raptured. You're going to escape the tyranny that is going to come on the earth. Because these, this mystery that I've been talking about, these eight, seven things that are working, they're working in the earth. We as a church are to be a salt in the earth, the preserving agent. We're supposed to be a light on the hill. We're supposed to resist these things. 
But then one day, those that are the children of the day shall be caught up in a twinkling of an eye. And the Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first, glory to God, and those that remain shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And that devil, that dragon, that old serpent that tries to deceive the world, he's going to get what's coming to him. He's going to get a knockout that is going to send him all the way to the lake of fire. We're going to deliver a blow with Jesus Christ. The church of the almighty God is going to rise up. Bible says in Revelations chapter 19 verse 11, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and they that sat upon him that sat upon it was called faithful and true and in his righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he held a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed upon him white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Who does the Bible say are clothed with fine linen, white and clean? But nobody else but the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. So that my name is, he said, where am I in the Bible? Jeremy, I'm right there, man. I'm right in verse 14. I'm gonna be riding with the Lord. I'm right there with you, Jesus. I don't want to miss you. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he will smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Praise God. Let's stand to our feet and worship His majesty. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Your church is waiting for you. Deliver us, Almighty One. Deliver us, oh Jesus. Come deliver your church, Almighty God. We pray, Lord. Give us a spirit of passion, Lord, for your name. Give us a purity for your name, Lord. Deliver thy power into our hands, Almighty God, we pray. And I pray over the students, my kids, your kids, everybody that is in education, in higher education, stand to your feet. I pray the anointing, I pray the unction of the Holy Ghost be with you. I pray you have an unction from the Most High God. I pray you be smeared with that scented ointment that comes from the heavenlies. I pray that you receive the precious anointing of the Holy Ghost. That it shall be poured out upon you 
upon your sons and your daughters in the last days, spoken like the prophet of Joel, you shall prophesy, you shall dream, you shall have visions, you shall raise the dead, you shall heal the sick, you shall set at liberty them that are bound, you shall preach the everlasting gospel of peace, and it will redeem every place that your feet tread upon. You shall be a city on a hill, says the Lord. You shall be the salt of the earth. And your salt shall not lose its savor. But it will be that for which is good. And everything that you set your hand upon, you shall succeed and prosper in the name of Jesus. People will look at you and call you blessed. They will call you favored. And mercy and goodness shall follow you all the days of your life. You shall be the head and not the tail. You shall not be walked upon, but you shall trample on serpents and scorpions. You shall take the serpent by the head. For it is your inheritance. For the Bible says that you and your whole house shall serve the Lord. And you will be happy. And everybody says, Amen. Amen.